Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right, let's get this party started. Thanks for tuning in. We're here with Z and Vindesh, and it's another week of conversations. We're talking about being offended and the power that words have to offend. And this is something that just, you know what, sorry, let me start again. Welcome to this week's edition of Conversations. Today's topic is being offended. We're talking about the tendency that people have in today's society to feel offended and the power that words have to offend. In some ways, we live in really strange times. So if I look at the direction that culture has taken in the last 10 years, it just seems that everyone has become incredibly sensitive. You've got professors who can't present the research at college campuses, which to me is insane because college campuses are supposed to be the bastion of free thought. But if they present something that offends a certain group, they can't present their research. And suddenly there's a petition to get rid of this professor. You have comedians who don't even want to be on stage anymore. They're telling jokes, they're talking about race, they're talking about sex, and there's so many people who are feeling offended and who are blasting them on Instagram or on social media, that they're saying the hell with this. It's just not worth having a conversation because I'm offending too many people. And Z, it was very interesting for me because I did an open mic a few weeks ago. This was the first time I'd done this. I'd written some pieces, some combination of poetry and hip-hop and spoken word, and I used the word nigga in at least one of those pieces. And If you take a look at the piece, it's very appropriate. Uh, One of the pieces was a satire. It fit in. If you looked at the entire context, it made sense. I told this to my wife afterward, and she freaked out. So the first thing she said was, oh, my God, Vin, you can't say that. That's hate speech. Everyone's going to go crazy. You're going to lose your job. We're going to get kicked out of our nice neighborhood. No one can tolerate that. So I thought, okay, this sounds a little bit odd, but... I know my wife gets anxious sometimes, so maybe it's just her anxiety flaring up. And then, Z, I talked to your friend who's been a comedian for 30 years. And I don't think he was offended, but he was a little bit surprised. He was on the border of being offended. And he was asking, why would you use the N-word? Why is that relevant? I don't use that word anymore. I just say the N-word. And I thought, my God, where have we come to as a society? Why... Is this particular word so offensive? I understand if I'm black and I've got a group of the KKK who are chasing me down, screaming, nigga, we're going to kill you, and they're trying to lynch me. Yeah, maybe, well, I'm probably not offended. I'm probably scared for my life. And maybe after that, I'll be offended. But so much of the meaning of our words and our communication comes from the context. It comes from the intent. And it seems that instead of looking at the bigger picture, We've taken a very shorthanded approach where we just define certain words as good, other words as bad. We don't think about what a person is trying to communicate. 
and we react almost like like a, a Pavlovian response where we hear a certain word and, oh my God, the red flags go up and we feel offended and we feel outraged. And there's a question of, do we really understand the point of the interaction? And if we don't, are we able to have discourse? Are we able to exchange ideas? Or are we getting into a world where nothing has any meaning anymore and we can't talk about anything seriously because there's so many things that offend? So I had all of this in the back of my mind. And then we talked. And you had a really interesting observation about this. So you said, Vin, when I hear this, I think to myself, I can't be offended. So for you, Z, no matter what people say, the words that they're saying, the phrases that they're using, it could be anything. It doesn't bother you. You don't get offended. And I found that to be such a refreshing contrast to the current world that we live in. So this is where I want to start the discussion. I want your perspective on why we've gotten to this place. So number one, why have people become so sensitive to words? Why is it so easy to offend? And number two, what is it about you that makes it impossible to offend you? Hey, Vin. This is, um, again, a continuation of things that we discuss on a regular basis, that we are in an interesting time. And not like every generation says, wow, the youngsters are really getting strange. No, people don't live as long as they used to. Uh, Young people have geriatric diseases. There are more and more people suffering from all sorts of bizarre mental health maladies than ever before. The the generations to come in the next 10 years and 20 years of people come of age, there's such a high number of the people in that population group that are incapable of self-care. Not only is that self-care and the ability to simply take care of basic uh, duties of living and sustaining oneself, but the basic ability to navigate life. I speak to teenagers coming of age who have told me that they don't even want to discuss their deep feelings as they're coming into adulthood as it pertains to their their romantic life and things like that. So we live in these times where we have hobbled and crippled people by interfering with the natural challenges, the fall get up scenarios of development. We've done it physically and we've done it mentally and socially. So when I hear these, this infinite number or this ever-growing list of offenses, what it really tells me is that there is no self-ownership. I know who I am. I'm okay with me, and I don't need something outside of me to confirm that. So I know that I have no power over another person's opinion of me. All I can do is be the best me I can be. And in doing that, if I'm 
fortunate. Half the people I meet will like me. Uh, another half of those people may either be indifferent or dislike me. When that happens, I know I've been true to myself. And being true to myself, then no one holds the key to my offense or defense. It's me. So when I hear that scenario, you say, well, hell, the Ku Klux Klan or some group of the cops are chasing you, yelling uh, nigger, 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 racial slur, whatever it is. I'm yelling the same thing back as I'm trying to protect myself or get to a place where I can cover and protect myself. I'm saying, look at these devils. Look at these beasts coming at me. They're not offended by that. It's it's the it's a expression of anger. They're, they're simply letting me know what they see of me, and I'm letting them know what I think of them, or letting myself know, not even them. They're let they're affirming that. And it means different things to different people. These things that we call slurs mean different things to different people. I heard two women laughing at each other and saying, Oh, you bitch. And then I laugh with them and say, yeah, she is a bitch, haha. And they both jumped on me and started knifing me, right? So the problem with that is, is they had a different relationship with each other. And the word had a different meaning between the two of them. I was not part of their familiar collective group or the moment that that was developed. So it was misplaced speaking to them that way. So it's really about me being aware of the moment. As Smacy told you, read your audience. That's the best way to move forward. Read your audience. And in order to read an audience, we have to first know how to read. And we have to be able to distinguish ourselves from the audience. So if someone can push your buttons that easily, there are many areas that you need to improve in. And one of those areas is knowing yourself. And observing the people around you. If a random person calls you a name, they don't pay your rent, they don't comfort you at night, they have no bearing on, on, on your life whatsoever. So why would you then let them alter your emotional state? Why then would you redirect your energy and resources to address their offense of you, which has no tangible effect on your life? So I can't be offended by a word. I can take a defensive position if there's an action directed at me. And maybe the, the words that that person would use would alert me to an imminent assault on me. So then I would not be offended, but I would be defensive and take either offensive or defensive response to that. So one of the challenges is the sheer lack of self-awareness, the lack of enlightenment, the absence of Buddha consciousness, the discriminating mind. So we live in a world now that that has been normalized, that those deficits of character and person are now normal. So everything is offensive, everything is threatening, Everything is difficult. Even We're even punishing people for what they might be thinking. 
So that will have a very negative effect on literature. It has already had a disaster effect, a disastrous effect on science and academia. I spoke to a professor a few weeks ago that said he's preparing to retire and, and his enthusiasm for educating has gone way down because he loved it so much, he says, but he told me, he said, Z, education is a business now. It's not a craft or an art, nor is it science. It's purely a business. And in a business, the customer's always right. So all my curriculum and all my activities now are spent on pleasing the freshman student, the new student, and maintaining and holding on to as many of these people who have bought into the institution. I can't say anything that challenges them or makes them uncomfortable. Everything and every day I work, I have to figure out a way to please them, entertain them, and make them laugh more than they laughed the day before so as they don't get bored and complain. I can't test them and challenge them on what they know for if they don't get an extraordinary compliment or grade, they will complain to administration, threaten to quit and leave, and take their money with them. So we've been tasked to always please the customer. Yes, yeah, so we live in different times. Academia is no longer a place to develop growing minds and to challenge the envelope of intellect to pierce through. It's a place to shut down, to honor ignorance, and to com completely lower the bar so that there are no challenges. That's where we're at right now, Vin. Yeah, it really seems like an odd time, and I think it does relate to the conversations we've had in the past. We've talked about the endless pursuit of comfort, the idea people have that a good life is one where there's no challenge, where the world just accommodates to whatever your desires are, whatever your wishes are. And there are two big problems with that. Problem number one is, you've pointed out, the more you see comfort, the more elusive comfort becomes because your standards just become higher and higher. Your tolerance for anything that's slightly offensive goes down until you get to the point where you can't have any meaningful interaction. You can't have any discussion, any exchange of ideas because there might be something that someone says that you don't want to hear and you can't take that. Suddenly you retreat right back into your shell. So it really limits your interactions. It limits the free exchange of ideas, which brings me to the second point around evolution. I think for us to grow individually or grow as a society, you need a certain amount of stress. When I hear people and they talk about how they want to avoid conflict, to me, that's just a crazy, crazy idea because conflict is a basis of change. If you think about a world where you've got a dominant paradigm, so you think about maybe five or six centuries ago when people thought that the earth was the center of the universe. If you present some evidence to the contrary, it's going to feel uncomfortable. People are going to be upset. 
they attach themselves to their beliefs. They have a certain vested, vested interest in those beliefs. And if you want to present them with a different view of the world, you have to be willing to take some heat. You have to know that people might be offended. And conversely, the people you're talking to have to be grown up enough to say, okay, maybe this feels a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe I do feel somewhat offended, but I'm going to listen with an open mind and an open heart. And I know that through this stress and this discomfort will come growth. I will come out of this with greater knowledge than I had. Maybe I'll learn something about the world. Maybe I'll learn something about myself. And that's how we evolve through the process of competing ideas that clash and conflict. Sometimes they synchronize. Sometimes one wins out over the other. But there has to be some butting of heads and some tolerance for offense for us to move forward. And that, I think, is the saddest aspect of where we are today. I mean, it really reminds me of this scene in 1984. Uh, So 1984 was a book written by George Orwell. A lot of his description in in 1984, he drew from communist Russia, where uh, there was a communist state and there was always propaganda and they were figuring out ways to keep the population under control. So he described a world where language slowly disappeared. And it was in the state's best interest to rob people of vocabulary. So they stripped things down to the bare essentials. Instead of using different descriptions like beautiful or phenomenal or awe-inspiring, everything was reduced to good or bad. Either something was good or bad. If something was really good, it would be double good. And then they realized they could get rid rid of the word bad. So instead of saying bad, they could say ungood. If something was terrible, it was double ungood. If it was catastrophic, it was double plus ungood. And the reason they did this is that they took away the power of the population to debate and discuss and eventually rise up against the state. Because if you can't express yourself, if you can't describe a world that's different from what you currently live in, what hope do you have of moving forward or changing anything? And that's why I think this is incredibly limiting There's also another example which you just provided, and we can talk about this in a second, which is horrifying. Uh, You said you read an article about women in India, and in India, the word breast has a sexual connotation. It's kind of like saying, fuck, I want to go and fuck her, and it sounds very offensive, and people want to avoid that. So because of that, you've got women who are dying of breast cancer because they can't even talk about the condition. It's so uncomfortable which seems completely insane. You put all this together, we're in a world where we're damaging our own health, we're becoming more and more fragile, we can't take any external heat, and we can't move forward. What are your thoughts on this? Vin, you're right on time. It's very Orwellian. And remember, we're speaking and nurturing uh, a collective consciousness of people who have opted out who see the same things we see and are looking for a narrative uh, to reflect upon. That you're wondering if you're alone out there and witnessing this and are you an outsider? Is there something wrong with me? Because doesn't this seem not cool, right? It's the scene out of The Wizard of Oz where somebody notices the little guy behind the curtain Say, hey, take a look at this. And 
Am I the only one seeing this? Well, well you're not. Um, my dog in this fight is mitigating human suffering. And I see things that, that, that have brought and introduced more suffering into our life than relief, right? So this mal-narrative, this idea that we must avoid anything that is challenging and we must beat the social fabric down into powder so that it is, there is no roughage. There is nothing that you encounter that challenges you in the least bit until life is so easy that there is an, this true effortlessness from cradle to grave. Well, so far this experiment has failed. We have more and more people suffering from mental ailments. Young kids with all spectrums of autism. Parents are lost on what to do. And it's become the norm. So this isn't working. We get strong because we endure a period of stress. We rest. We recover. We're better. We get stressed out a little bit or a lot. We recover. We repair. We learn. We move forward. We are better. We evolve that way. Those are the steps that we walk up to evolution. When we're no longer taking those steps, we then are no longer in a evolutional evolution verticality. We're no longer there anymore. Now we're in this horizontal slope and maybe even a declining trajectory of evolution going backwards where this coming generation is less capable of taking care of themselves. Not only did I hear this article about in India and Pakistan that you can't say the word breast, so it's killing women. Disproportionately, even though the cure is right there, by the time they are so debilitated that the word doesn't matter anymore, it's too late to help. But you also have the burning of academic growth where people will protest the findings or even the research, even the wondering. You can't even wonder anymore about something. There was a professor that wanted to sound alarms about the amount of phytoestrogens in the environment and how reptiles and avian creatures were changing their sex from male to female and the eggs of birds were not hardening. And she said, maybe it's the phytoestrogen that could be affecting human beings. Just the wondering caused her to lose her job. Just wondering about it. So yeah, this is very Orwellian. And I would go a step further. I think people misunderstand this idea that it's communist versus socialist versus capitalist. No, they're all doing the same thing. There's this big issue in of the protest in Hong Kong and what should be the sports people's uh, take on it. They're, they're demanding that they all have one view of it. They're demanding that everybody looks at it through the same prism. So this is what could be more Orwellian than that? People don't even know what the issue is. The average person is just going about their business and checking the likes on Facebook or Instagram. They have no idea 
of what's going on with the Hong Kong protests. So why even chime in on something you know nothing about? But we're told you must see it this way, think of it this way, accept it that way, without wondering. So not only is it an attack on thinking and ideas and the shared ideas, it's an attack on even wonderment. Can you imagine? So why is that happening? I think it's happening because as we have, we resist less and, and, and we lose our direction, we lose our sense of self, and there are fewer and fewer guides, there are fewer and fewer examples around. So the vast majority of people are in a limbing state. And for those of us who try to opt out and think for ourselves, it's a very lonely and sparse group of people that are doing that. And by no means elite, just regular people that say, hey, maybe this isn't right. Maybe I should take a look at it myself. And maybe there are more people out there who, are you really offended? Or are you supposed to be offended? Are you really bothered by that? Or did you hear you were supposed to be bothered by that? And you asked me earlier, Vin, why am I not offended? For me, it's very simple. I'm, I'm okay with me. I surround myself with people who are of like mind and like consciousness. And we have mutual adoration and respect for one another. So we can say anything with each other. We speak in all the spectrums of speech. To an outsider, it would sound offensive. But that's to an outsider. I cannot accommodate the outsider. My world is my world. And I'm doing my best to make my world the best world I can be in. I do understand as you move outside of the confines of our individual worlds and you encounter other tribesmen and people from other cultures, study their culture, study their behavior, keep healthy boundaries so that you can main, re, remain true to yourself. What you don't want to lose is personal integrity, the truth of self. When you do that, then someone else will be defining you and your life. So this idea of giving words power, first you have to surrender something to give it power. Next, there is then the corruption of words, because words, again, in the Vedic sense, we have the idea of mantra, what you hear, what you speak, what the picture in your mind that is conjured from the word. And as you start to uh, say these words that are attached to a subconscious picture, an image, that then that becomes a call to action, right? As I said to you earlier, you go to some cities and there's a stop sign. That sign tells you, stop, and you take an action. Take your foot off the accelerator, apply braking force, stop. But if they have so many stop signs up, then that stop becomes a suggestion. It becomes more of a yield. So you develop what they call the California stop, where you just kind of roll through the stop sign. You look both ways and you just barrel through. 
you might not even cover your brake after a while because there's so many. So that stop sign no longer has power anymore. It's the same way with the so-called offensive words. You talk to your friends in rap time and, hey, uh, nigga this, nigga that. Well, what does the word mean? Well, it's a big, it started from a biblical word, niggardly, which meant basically selfish, self-centered person who didn't care about anything but themselves. Right? Covetedness, all that. It was niggardly. Right? Then they attached that to the suffering people. Look at that nigga. Groveling for food. Doing anything to get out of a beating. And then there were behaviors that were associated with that. Then it was attached to certain ethnic groups. Then the people reclaimed the word and use it amongst themselves. It's like that your mama jokes. That comes from something called playing the dozens. So at one time during the uh, the catastrophic times of slavery for the uh, Africans that were enslaved in the Western world, they would sell the slaves periodically by the dozen who were damaged. Broken leg, lost a leg, a foot, an eye, lame. So during the auctions, they would have, hey, you can get 12 for the price of one. Cheaper by the dozen, right? But they all are lame. Something's wrong with them. So the slaves kind of took back their humanity and turned that into humor. Oh, no, you're being sold by the dozen. Your mama's so fat, right? Your dad has a limp. So in order to, it was almost gallows humor. So when you hear your mama's this, it's gallows humor. In order to, for people to take back some of their humanity, dealing with the tragedy. When people said nigga, it was to take a bad word and make it good. We've done that. You take a bad word and make it good because the English language is malleable. It's a new language. New words are coming up all the day. So amongst the furious, people took it back. And so it became, it became a term of endearment. An insult became an embrace. And now we live in a time where they're taking the word back and giving it more power than it's due. So people won't even say it, uh, say nigga, they'll say the N-word, which to me is far more racist, far more hate-filled, because you've re-empowered it, you've reignited the reactor so the people who really have deep-seated genocidal feelings, who really look at Aboriginal people as less than human beings, they don't even they don't even merit hatred. Think about it: when someone doesn't even merit hatred, a fly or roach, you don't hate them because they don't merit hate. So that's how when people say, "Oh, the N-word." They just elevated the word and devalued the human being. So you can take a word and laugh at it, use it, and do whatever you want to do with it. You can empower it or you can dissolve it. We've chosen to empower it and then elevate everything to the level of an offense. When you can't tell a joke, 
when you can't talk freely amongst familiars, when even your private words are held against you, then it's Orwellian. If you're sitting at home with your wife and she says, oh, the N-word, are you at home behind closed doors? What, what the hell is going on? Who's listening to you now? So now we've assaulted intimacy. You can't even have intimacy anymore. Don't say these, well, some people like to talk dirty. Right? So now we've turned that into perversion and we've turned things that used to be considered perverse into normal. So it is the Orwellian, the upside down world, if you buy into it. I'm saying like we always say, Vin, opt out. Do what you need to do. Surround yourself with like-minded people. Do not let and invite these diseases of the mind into your life. Take back your consciousness. Create a citadel of clarity around you so you do not buy into the rules and ethics of the faceless committee. This point about buying in, you made two points, actually. One is about buying in. The other is about being okay with yourself as a counter to being offended. And I think both of those are critical. If you're really secure in who you are, what difference does it make what someone tells you? Either it's going to be like-minded people, as you said, Z, and in that case, you might actually want to listen. Maybe you learn something. Maybe they have something that can advance your consciousness. Or it's people that you're not affiliated with, you don't respect. As you said, they don't merit your hatred. What difference does it make what they say? They're going to feel the same way, whether they say it or don't say it. It's not that you banish a word and suddenly there's only love and good feelings on this planet. The feelings are still there. And in fact, they might get stronger because you've empowered the word or you repress the feelings and anything you bottle up ends up coming up stronger. You lose the ability to change someone's mind because you don't even know what they think. So basically, all of the feelings behind the words are still there. It's just you don't have the chance to change people's mind and to move forward. But if you do have that view that you're okay with yourself and who the hell cares what people think, either they're people that I care about and I should listen to them or they're people that I don't care about and what difference does it make, you're in a much stronger position. You haven't given away your power. I think about this. It reminds me of a situation that I had years ago. I had a colleague, and this colleague was just incredibly annoying. He was combative. He was trying to undermine the work of our entire group. And I became somewhat of a therapist for our little office because people would come in, and they'd sit down with me, and they'd say, oh, my goodness, this person is so frustrating. He just doesn't get it. I spent an hour talking to him. And I'd cut them off, and I'd say, why? Why did he waste your time? You know that he's like that. You know nothing good is going to come out of the conversation. Just ignore it. It doesn't merit your time. It doesn't merit your attention. Not everything requires a response. And having the awareness that you talked about moves you along that path. I think if you are aware, both of the context, the meaning, as well as you're aware of who you are, then you can choose when to respond and when not to respond. And it just means that you're going to save yourself time. You're also going to save yourself energy. So if we accept that 
we should move – well, whether you should or shouldn't, let's just say that there are issues that arise when we're easily offended. They're personal issues. They're societal issues. And we want to get away from that. We've talked about just having a greater awareness of cultural context and the context of the communication so that the word by itself doesn't have power. You have to look beyond that and look at what people really mean uh, when they're saying certain things. We've talked about feeling strong about yourself so that you don't really care what other people are going to think or what they're going to say. I think some of the other things that are important are the narratives or the stories that we tell ourselves. There's this idea in today's society that you have a right not to be offended, or conversely, you shouldn't offend anyone. You should make sure that everyone gets along, which doesn't make any sense. I think that's also one of these false narratives, which is an idea that's impossible to achieve. There's such a diversity of thought and identity. Inevitably, people are going to clash if they're expressing themselves freely. Worse than that, our ideas change all the time. So if I say something, maybe today it doesn't offend you, but tomorrow it does offend you because you've changed your mind or the meaning of what I've said has evolved. So when we're living in this fluid world and when we have this multiplicity of ideas, some conflict is inevitable. So one way to move forward is to recognize that conflict is okay. It's not something to shy away from. It's something that can actually make us stronger and help us. Z, I've put a few ideas on the table. Do you have any thoughts in addition to that? Are there other things that we can do to reclaim our sense of self and get away from just being too sensitive and being offended too easily? Sure, Vin. Always let nature be your teacher. The physics of this life, the phenomena of nature that we exist in, is the best director and teacher. There used to be a thing that people would do years ago whenever they had a cold sore, a herpes breakout on their lip, and they had special makeup that would cover it up. And people would put this cover up on it, and whenever they would wash the cover off, the sore would be so bad it often burned into the lymphatic system, and so they'd have this gaping, oping pustule on their face instead of a ugly cold sore that would heal in a few days, they would then have to pack this pustule with some other makeup to cover it up. Disease thrives in the dark cover-up, in the cover-up. That's where it thrives. Shed a light on something right away. Let the light hit it, and the rays of the sun and the oxygen in the air will begin to heal it. Don't mask it. Cover it up. Put a happy face on it. And that's what we're being asked to do with all the different offenses and micro-offenses. Is cover it up. It's still there, but just cover it up with a happy face band-aid. Or pack it with skin-toned makeup so nobody can really see it. But underneath there, this disease is growing far stronger and more uh, infectious than it ever would have done before. If we let it out right away, comedians let it out. They often say what we're thinking or considering. They diffuse the situation. So we let, we let it out in the air of laughter, in the sunlight of joy and hysteric expression 
uh, of this happiness and we got the joke and it's done. The professor challenges us and says, makes us go, oh, wow, I was really stupid. Now I'm smart. That's what happens, right? So we should, we serve ourselves well by thriving on being open in the light, in the fresh air, letting the full force of the sun enlighten us in every area of our life. You, as an individual, can't like everything. But I don't have to like everything. I just have to be okay with me and open. If I'm open, I can get a better understanding of others. If you force me to go along with something, force me to like it, force me to wear the happy face band-aid, or force me to wear the smiley face mask, then underneath there is a demon growing. And that's what we're seeing now. We, we see more rage and hate in our society than I remember. And I'm going back six decades. I remember difficult times. And they didn't change. We learned to navigate them. They had open forums. They had truth and reconciliation. They didn't put happy mask on everybody. Right? They didn't put dolly mask on everybody and then spray uh, the body odor away with lilac powder. People had to bathe and unmask themselves and reveal who they really were. Somebody had to say, hey man, that stinks and you need to wash it off. We were able to shame people for egregious behavior or we should be able to. You can't do that anymore. You have to put a mask on it, add more words to it. They used to have, as George Carlin said, battle fatigue. Now we have post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, you know, any decent human being who has watched the senseless killing of others would be mentally taxed, fatigued, and broken. So we can't label away, we can't paint away suffering. We also, when we talk about diversity, differences, what's happening now, we're trying to make everybody like everything. Well, if you have bizarre behavior that's outside of the norm of the seven billion, or you don't, maybe you don't fit everywhere, that's okay. That's called individuality. But understand too, the responsibility is on you. I don't have to like what you're doing. And you don't have to like what I'm doing, but I can honor your humanity. You can live over there and I can live over here. We all need the same amount of air, the same amount of water. And honoring that is about healthy boundaries. I'm very selective of who my children are around. I'm not against anybody. I'm just doing the best I can as a parent to protect my children. Because not everybody feels the same way about my children, nor children, period, the way I do. I honor that by creating healthy boundaries, not demanding that everybody feels the way I feel, acts the way I act, agree with what I agree with. I believe that people's personal lives are called personal lives because they are personal. So I don't need to know your business except the business we have with each other. If we do that, we then begin to honor the humanity of each of us 
And in there is built-in freedom. It's, it's not unlike them being a property owner. And you own so many acres and you mark your acres. You got a little fence around it. People can come and visit, but as soon as they come and visit, they're on your terms. You behave a certain way. You act a certain way. You honor my religion. Or don't visit me. How simple is that? I'm not discriminating against anyone. I'm open-hearted. But it requires that goes both ways. That goes both ways. And the more that you do that, the more you create healthy boundaries, the more those boundaries begin to go away. Because there becomes this natural mimesis, cultural mimesis. I get you. I understand you now. I understand the way you cook. I understand the way you love. I understand that. And now I can be more comfortable with you. But if you force me to do that, I will never like you. I will never be comfortable with you. And underneath the happy face band-aid is a seething pustule of rage. That's what we're creating. But for those of us who are enlightened, take ownership of yourself. Get to know yourself. And you'd be surprised at how well you get to know others. And when you get to know others, there first becomes that understanding. Then acceptance. And from that acceptance grows compassion. And from that compassion becomes the reverence for humanity. And from that, you get something out of that person, they get something out of you, and then we can see the universality of the human condition. Yet it can't be forced. It, you can't sacrifice one to save the other. And that's the mistake we're making. Well, if you want, we can do a part two, because we also didn't talk about the mantras. And Z, I know you'd wanted to get into that, which is probably a longer discussion. Um, real quick, I was thinking about the Olympic <clears throat> marathoner. The guy just set the world record for the marathon. And he ran under two hours in the marathon, one, one hour and 59 minutes, 40 seconds, which is a Bemanesque feat. It's beyond what you could even imagine. It, it was transcended physical. And in the interview of him, he said it was never about just himself breaking a record. He said he wanted to give not just to his tribe, not just to his country, not just to his continent, but to the whole world, a living example of what one can do if they set their mind to something, trust their discipline over their emotion, and any endeavor in life, and you can do well. So his words were so beautiful, so inspiring, along with his actions, was so uplifting, it, 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 it made you want to achieve. That's the power of words, right? Remember what he said, if you let your discipline guide you, once you decide what you do, because the emotions will always alter and change, but your discipline won't. I thought that was the most beautiful thing. Then you tie that into a greater cause, and you can do anything. That's a beautiful mantra. So here, when we tell people, tell, oh, I'm offended, I'm offended by this, that's your mantra. Your mantra is to be offended. And then when you hear the subtleties behind it, you're walking around with this really diseased and infected heart that you're masking with this pablum or medication 
of flowery words or non-words or, 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 or even the idea that you give a word the word, the N-word? I mean, is anybody, good God. The O word, the whatever, the P word, the Z word. This is insane. This is insane. You know the A word. No, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> How about see you next Tuesday? You know that one? What? <laughs> Caitlin can fill you in. What the? F- oh, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's a real see you next Tuesday. What is that? <laughs> you really never heard that? See you next Tuesday? Yeah. <laughs> what is that, like something from Batman? Is that a real? No, it's kind of like an acronym for... She's a cunt. She's a cunt, but you can't say cunt. So you have to say, see you next Tuesday. And you don't even spell it right because C is spelled with an S, not a C. So now you're messing up your grammar as you're trying to be politically correct. I've never heard that. It's in a SpongeBob cartoon, even. You see that? This is how absurd the world has got. That's like another code for black people is 13%. The 13, right? Oh, those are those 13. You know the 13. You know how it is when you're 13. So that's the new way of saying nigga in a hateful way. Did you know that? No. See? You guys aren't up. But you see, we don't even talk anymore. There's a whole new code coming out. See you next Tuesday. What the hell? Like, what's happening on Tuesday? I have no idea. (laughs) So we have to take back our life from this madness. This is madness. This idea of being offended, what we're offended by and not offended by. Remember I was talking earlier about the term fag. In the UK, it means cigarette. And here, it's it's a derogatory thing you say to gay people. Or queer means something weird and different. Now people are claiming that as an identity, right? Queer used to mean not like everything else, right? Now people, that used to be offensive. It's no longer anymore. The word nigga comes from the word niggardly in the Bible, which was a type of behavior. And the word, I think the more offensive things that were people went along with historically, you think of the term negro, which comes from the the Greek word of dead, which meant necro, dead people. And people thought that was a proper way to be greeted and even wrote, oh, writers write, yeah, there's a Negro this and a Negro that. Then they said colored, right? Or that meant change or altered from your original state. So Aborigine people, Aboriginal people around the world called themselves colored. So they're not, they used to be white, now they're something else, but they're Aboriginal. So everybody came from them. It's the absurdity of that, that when we don't understand words and language, we create all these, it's very plastic, right? That we just make up stuff to be happy with or mad with. The word bitch is the term they use for a female dog, which when they applied to people, meant that this woman was very primal. She's very primal. Um, men are like dogs. They say that all the time. Oh, he's a dog. He's a real dog. But we love our dogs, don't we? We love dogs. Dogs teach us about our own humanity. How weird is language? Seems like you would be honored to be called a dog or a bitch because they're pretty cool, right? In terms of what they represent in terms of humanity. So the pictures that we conjure up 
is something we really want to talk about when we get into mantra and yantra and tantra and then take ownership, get that back and and work on that. And so I hope that the people, at least in our lives, in our small village of self, don't buy into this. And maybe you can talk to Becky about it, that the very saying of the N-word, say, the thing, fact that you say the N-word is more offensive than saying nigger. Z, I think those were some really beautiful thoughts and very well put. Unfortunately, we have to close. Someone called Z the N-word, and now he's going to go and beat the shit out of them. So we're going to have to wrap over here and wait until next week. Uh, just a few thoughts in closing. We've talked about words and the power they have to offend. And that the reason they offend is we lack awareness and we lack conviction in ourselves. So next time we're going to expand on this and talk about how we can get beyond offense and really take ownership of ourselves and get to a point where we're more self-possessed. And we can start creating meaning for these words. We can create mantras that help us see the world in a way that's beneficial to us. I think some of the points we're really trying to get across are we get offended when we don't have possession of ourselves. We need that possession. And next time we'll talk about how to build that. And at a societal level, it's important to understand that when we paper over words and we label certain things as bad and we don't talk about them, the underlying conditions are still there. We still have the same rot. And in fact, it comes out a lot worse. We lose the ability to address it. So uh, join us next time. We'll talk about how we can get past some of these problems and get to a point where we feel more comfortable, regardless of who we're interacting with. Great show, Vin. Thanks. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.